Father, thank you, Lord, for um, Lord these moments we have with you. And Lord, we pray that as we get into your word, Lord, that our hearts would be transformed by it. Lord, we want to leave here changed. Lord, we want to leave here knowing what your, your word says for us today. And so, Father, I thank you that we can gather, that we can be your family, and we can uh, do what we call life together. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, before I start, I want to just, I'm not trying to plug my own small group, but uh, I do have the mic, so <laughs> just kidding. Um, yeah, Kim and I are starting a small group uh, for young adults focused from the age of 9 to 20. <laughs> I don't know, they start small, I guess, uh, from the age 19 to 28. So if you're around that age, if you're 29, yeah, we'll let it slide, or 30, too, we'll let it go. But we, we would just love to see um, people within that age come and to hang out with us and talk about the Word, have some food, some snack. They're the same thing, but you know. And so, um, and if you know of anybody, too, that you're like, oh, I think that would be really good for them to be a part of that small group, feel free to give them uh, my number or give me their number, I will have no shame in calling them and saying, hey, this person told me you think you'd be good to come to our small group. We would love to have you. And so uh, we just really want to see just that, young, that demographic just grow with here in Lake Country. Um, and so if you're in that group, we'd love to have you. Um, I do have the mic. I'm sorry for promoting. It's not promoting me and Kim. It's promoting, we were really promoting the young adults. We want to see that group grow. All right, so before we get started today, just a quick recap of our series. We're in This Is Us. This is about the church, uh, who we are, and what we're supposed to do. Chris started it off with us uh, talking about his trip, but the, really the heart of it was mission. We're all on mission with Christ. We are on, we've given this great commission to go out to be his hands and his feet. Sometimes it takes you over to Guatemala, uh, but for us, it's here. And sometimes you'll go on a small mission trip, and you'll go over there, and you continue to take the gospel with you. And so he was talking about how we are to be obedient followers of him, to do what he calls us to do, to be on mission. Last week, I talked about how we are better together. Like when we gather, this makes us better. I correlated it when we see the uh, temple in the Old Testament, and how the glory of God came down, and how the temple, you know, it, that's where his presence was. And then I, with Acts 2, now his presence came and it dwelled within us. And so we are, yes, the temple of God, but we're actually living stones. And when we all come together, we start to build something. And so it looks better together. We are better together. It challenges us. It moves us forward. And then today, we're talking about being committed. And for some of you, you've started New Year's resolutions. And you are committed to see those through. Some of you, I have a picture here, I think, I hope. Crossing the fingers, there it is. I've already gotten, oh, forgotten your New Year's resolutions. It's okay if you have, no judging, because I forgot mine too. Have you ever heard of the 100 Nugget Challenge? 100, so you and a buddy, you get 100 chicken nuggets and then you eat these chicken nuggets within a certain time frame. And I had a friend who did this, and he just committed through it. And I was like, oh, my, I'm so sorry. And like, he, he was not well after. Uh, naturally, McDonald's, too much of it, never goes really well. So, and then there's my son, Malachi. 
He is a very, very committed person. We went to Seattle two years ago, and he was chosen to be an honorary back catcher at the game. And so they do kids Sundays at the Mariners game. We were going to visit some friends in Seattle, and we're like, oh, you know what, we're going to go to the game. Why don't we send this postcard into what you're supposed to do? And they pick your kid out. And if your kid gets picked, then you get free tickets, and you get to have some sort of role in the baseball experience of that day. And so he got picked, and he got to be the honorary back catcher, which meant we got free tickets, shirt, we got to go to the game early, we got to walk behind the scenes. Uh, he got uh, game um, pra practice balls, which is the batting practice balls, where they're actually using those. He got three of them. And then he got announced to go out on run out into the field. And so, God bless America. They announce it, and they butchered it so bad. It was like Saskatchewan, and then it had like a comma, and it was supposed to be like CA for like Canada, but they thought it was California. So it was like Saskatchewan, California. And we're like, what? <laughs> and so, so that's not where we're from. And so he's not even a Mariners fan, but man, he was committed. He's a Blue Jays fan. You can see he has an Oakland A's hat on today. He's an A's fan. Uh, and so... First inning, they're playing the Astros. The Astros, they get a couple runs in, and then the Mariners haven't scored, and it's like the fourth or fifth inning, and he's like, he's literally a mess. Like, I'm not even joking. Like, he's weeping and just weeping because they're losing. He was committed to this team. I'm like, we don't even cheer for the Mariners. And so then there were some Astros fans behind us, and Kim's like, look what you're doing to him. And so, <laughs> and just in a joking manner. Uh, and then we had like take him out, like, it's okay, calm down. So he comes back in, bases are loaded. I have a picture of Malachi up here, I believe. Bases are loaded. Oh, maybe he's not up there. <laughs> That's not Malachi. Bases are loaded. And he's like, they're going to hit a grand slam. I know it. And I'm like, Malachi, look, that, I've been in a lot of baseball games. I'm looking at him like, that never happens. Like, I've never seen a grand slam. Crack. That's like, it's a grand slam. And then I look at Malachi, and I hadn't heard anything, but I just heard, you know that cry when you're trying to get, get your air? <gasps> oh, and just weeping. I wish the picture was up here, because you could see just tears in his face. Um, just committed. He's committed. And then this is, for all the people from Saskatchewan, whoop, whoop. The, the sand hills. The sand hills in Saskatchewan, we do have things other than prairies and just flat land. We do have sand hills. And so on these hills, you, people go and you just hang out. You can go on your snowboard and go down. Uh, there's, and so you can see at the top where you'd be, you can run and then you jump and you land in the sand. It's so cool. Like you land like half, like not halfway down, but, and it's, it's like awesome. I don't know. I better explain it, but it's so cool. Go to Saskatchewan. Go to the Sandhills for your vacation. So we're like, Malachi, this is what you do. You run, and then you jump. Pretty simple. And so there's another picture here. I actually don't have the live picture of him, but you can see at the end there's like this bush. And so Kim and I, we run, we jump, we land, and then we start walking back up. Then all of a sudden we see this dart shoot down the hill. And we're like, what's he doing? And he just started running and didn't even jump. And he just kept running and running down the hill. And we're like, oh my goodness. People are watching and laughing. And then he gets to the end and we're like, oh no, he's going to die. And so 
Because <laughs> there's all these bushes. And then he just falls before he hits the bushes. But committed. He is just committed. He is committed to everything that he does. And so this got me thinking. What are we committed to as a church? I don't tell these stories for laughs. Even though they are pretty funny. But what are we committed to as a church? What are we committed to do? Like what is it about us that we are supposed to be committed to? Uh, obviously Christ. But he's given us a mission to do, to accomplish. And yes, we know the Great Commission to go out and to tell the world about who he is and to make disciples. But us as a body, what else? If you want to turn with me to John 15, 12, you can turn to your Bibles or it'll be up here on the screen. It says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. We see in John 13, chapter 13 to 17, it's like this Long talk Jesus is having to his disciples. Like a, like a farewell sermon. It's, it's like he's giving his kids, hey, these are the valuable things I, I want to leave with you before I go. You need to do these things. And so John 15 is like a summary of this long talk right in the middle. And at the beginning of John 15, he calls them to do this. He calls them to remain in him because he is the vine. And so this would have resonated with them. This is why it would have resonated with them. When Jesus said this, he could have been in view of, or maybe when they were walking to where they were going, he might have passed by the temple. But on the temple was this great golden vine on front of it. And that vine symbolized this, the nation Israel. Because the vine was the familiar Old Testament symbol for Israel. And so Jesus is telling him this. This is really big. To be rooted in him, not Israel. I'm like, why Israel? So he doesn't want them to go back to the way things used to be. To abide in the old laws. So he's like, I don't want you to abide in the old laws. Like we have, you know, the Ten Commandments and the 613. He's saying, I want you to abide in me. No longer in that vine, in this vine. And so with that, he gives them a new commandment to follow. Right? Just abide in me. It's like, okay. What am I to do? All right, here we go. This is what you're to do. And he speaks of this new commandment. He calls them to love each other as I have loved you. So we see like our ability to love first comes from Christ's love for us. That's where it first starts. When we are close to him, we can love others like he does. He tells his disciple that as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, now remain in my love. So let's develop this a little bit more. In order for us to love others like he loved us, we need to be in community. We need to be around others. We need to be together. In this talk he is having with his disciples, we see Jesus praying in John 17, 23, and he says this, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Now this statement gives us a little taste of the Trinity. There's a lot about the Trinity that's hard to understand. One God, eternally existing in three persons, like one plus one plus one equals three. Duh. It's like, come on. It sounds like three gods. But the Bible could not be more clear that there is only one God. If that makes your head hurt, Join into the crowd because my head hurts thinking about the Trinity too. But remember, we're talking about God here. He's big. He's infinite. 
All we could, and we could be here all day talking about the Trinity, but that's not where I want to land. And you guys want to go home. Everybody wants to go home. And you don't want your head to hurt. Like, let's, let's not talk about the Trinity. But it gives us this model for us. God has always existed in community, in perfect love. He has never been a loner. He created us in his image and his unity in the Trinity is a model for our relationship with one another. Jesus shows the importance of being with one another and that when we are with one another, we are to love one another. Jesus first starts his talk with them after they eat and break bread with them. And, in, and he says this, John 13, 34 to 35, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, this isn't some, like, sob fest, you know, when someone's leaving, and they're just like, I love you. I love you, John. I love you, Peter. Man, I love this table. Like, Jesus isn't up there just like, I love you, man. He's, he's, Yes, feeling the emotion, but he's leaving them with something. He's leaving them with a commandment. And this is where we're going to dive in. This new commandment. This new belief. Or this new thing they're, they're supposed to follow. The disciples, they might have thought, really? Like, love each other? This is brand new. This is what you're leaving, with, leaving us with? Because in Leviticus 19.18, which was the old, as old as Israel itself, Leviticus is the original documents of Israel, their constitution. It says this in Leviticus 19.18, But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the commandment is actually, itself was not new. But what was new was the standard they were they would use to measure their love, as I have loved you. This is the new commandment. This is new to it. They were to love each other in the same manner and to the same extent that he loved them. That's huge. The word new carried the connotation of revolutionary. It was amazing. It was never before heard or seen. This is my revolutionary commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. So all the instructions that the disciples would have received from Jesus and all the example that they would have seen has now become a bona fide commandment. All the things that they lived with, that they followed, that they've seen Jesus do and be an example of has now become a commandment for them to follow. This is the new vine. This is what you're supposed to abide in. This is what you're supposed to do now. Now, through this love for one another, Christ says, by this Everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. I'll leave you with this quote here. And it said this. When this happens, Jesus says, All people will know that we're his. Our love for one another is a witness to our identity as the redeemed sons and daughters of God. This is such a brain teaser for those of us who have put a lot of thought into the mission and structure of the local church. So often we tend to think of inreach and then outreach as two different arms of the church, both extending in opposite directions, doing their own thing. But then Jesus comes and says, one cannot exist without the other. 
A church that is missional and wants to make Jesus known in their community must be a church that loves one another, committed to loving one another. And a church that is intentional about loving one another can't help but be a church that makes Jesus known. That's the way it works. So when we love one another well, it's just infectious. It just flows out of us. It's everything that we do when we leave this place. It's how we'll be seen. It's how people will feel connected. When we have a genuine love for one another, they both, in reach and outreach, go together. This commandment, the new commandment, as love one another as Jesus loved us. And that's how we live together as the church in this world. We go against the grain of societal expectations. We help one another when it hurts. We love one another to represent our king, the one that we love. And so me and my wife, we know that this is true. Because we left our home in Eston. We have felt loved and connected, not to mention there is an endless supply of free babysitting to come to a community we really didn't know. All we did know was that they followed Jesus. And if what Jesus says is true, we will be okay. If they love, if they're carrying out that new commandment, loving one another, then we will go because we know that we're going to be loved. More practical than anything else I've experienced, Jesus' words, they've been true. We live where we do primarily because the family of Jesus is a group that loves one another. 1 John 4.8 says this, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is convicting, right? You should sit with this like, oh, Wow. That hits home. And then it can be a little bit uncomfortable. That's okay. Because then it causes us to, to search, to think. How we love others, particularly other Christians, reveals how we love God. The Apostle John puts it bluntly. He who does not love his brother whom he has, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 1 John 4.20, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Our love for each other is an indicator of the place God is holding in our hearts. It's a big truth. Our love for others. And so how it, it, it sits is this. So we see that if we love God most, we will love others best. We love him the most, we love others the best. When we have these two verses in 1 John, it's not the, it's one of the only times in 1 John 4, 8 where it says, whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. That is the only time where God is identified with one of his attributes. It doesn't say God is loving, but God is love. No, he's not saying the emotion of love is always God or that love is God's only attribute. But what it does show is you that love is core of God. It's the core to his being. 
And as I mentioned before, some theologians, they point out this because God is in a trinity, meaning he is one being in three persons. And because of that, he has always existed in a loving relationship with another. So we see that love others in what God has commanded us to do. He calls us to love one another, to love one another. And I was going to feel like I'm on repeat. But this is what we are committed to do. It's what he's called us to do wherever we go. So how does it look? How do we do this? Obviously, it starts with him. We need to be close to him. Because out of him, he is love. And if our, we we're going to have love for others, it's going to have to flow from a relationship with him. But we get a picture of how Jesus loved others. So the first one is, when we see Jesus, we see that he served them. Now, chapter 13, we see that Jesus, he washed their feet in John 13. This pretty well blew their minds. Because the universal approach to power is that you use it to elevate yourself at that time. You have the power, you use it to elevate yourself. When you have power, you should use it for self-promotion or self-benefit. Are you smart? Leverage that to make money. Do you have money? Leverage that to increase your standard of living. This is the thought in the time, and we can see it in our thought today too. Do you have a position of power? Leverage that to control your world in a way that benefits you. But here he is with all those things. Jesus is plenty smart. At the end of his life, he's washing their feet. And he's not using his power to protect himself from danger, but to pour himself out for them. To give, it a, to give them his love. Serving them. And this, this story shows two practical things. One thing is that we lay aside status and rank and prestige and privilege to take the form of a servant. No matter what our title is in this world, the only title that matters is that we are a follower of Christ. And that's how we should live. Everything else, positions and our job, they fall to the feet of that. Verse 14 in John 13 says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. By virtue of my status and rank and privilege as our Lord and teacher, I am not obliged to wash your feet, but I count you as more significant than myself and serve you. As he washed their feet, he explained to think that this was just a symbol of the ultimate way he was going to serve them. He would spill his blood to wash the dirtiest parts of them, which was not their feet, it was their sin-blackened souls. The second thing that this story shows us is, through this act, is that this love involves practical deeds of helpfulness. It has to be practical. It has to actually have action. In those days, almost everyone walked. The roads and paths were dirt. There were probably no socks or no sidewalks. Everyone's feet were more or less caked with dirt. The dirty work had to be done. Jesus did it for those who should have been doing it for him. He laid down a sense of entitlement and he served them. The new commandment is that we look at this pattern that we watch our Lord and teacher and Savior and we do this. We follow him. We live out that love that we see in Jesus. 
The second thing that we see that Jesus did was he shared in their pain and in their sorrow. There is a scene in John 11 where Jesus shows up at Lazarus' tomb. Jesus, or Lazarus had just died, and Mary and Martha, his sisters, were weeping. Shortest verse in the Bible, we know it. This is a verse that if I had to write out when my par- I got in trouble with my parents, this is the one I went to. Jesus wept because I'm weeping right now. That's what I put after. <laughs> Why was he weeping? If you read the context of the story, you see that he knows he's able to raise him from the dead. So it's like, what? Skip the weeping. Come on. Get to the raising. But why is he weeping? Because they were weeping. And he is so connected to them. He is so connected to them. Into their pain that they wept with them. So if they're weeping, he's weeping. If you're weeping, he's weeping. He feels what you're going through. He loves you. And so when we get together and we gather and we talk about our weeks and someone's having a rough week, I feel for them. He feels our pains and sorrow. He makes them his very own. He has made himself one with us, just like each member feels that the other members of the Trinity feel, because they are one essence. Jesus feels what we feel. You have a broken heart, he feels it. Yes, he is a God who sits above the heavens and holds the world in the hollows of his hand, but he's also a God who comes so close, so close to us, that he weeps with us in our, in our pain. Blows my mind. The third thing is Jesus leveraged his abilities for our needs and stood in the gap. This is where we see the love go out into the world. This is where we see love in action. This is a challenging point here. Let's just leave you with the word so you can take it and chew it when you go home and, be ch- and think about it. But also it's here to challenge us. It should cause us to be like, God, where's my heart? And so a question that I was just thinking about as I thought about this is what if Jesus leveraged his abilities for you the same way maybe sometimes I leverage my abilities for myself? Jesus, what if he was like, you know, I've got a pretty good gig here being God and all. I can just sit back now and live off the interest of being God. Our love has to be more than words. My favorite verse in the whole Bible, 1 John 3.16. And it starts, For this is how we know love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Great. But then it goes deeper. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Oh, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It goes deeper. Love, it costs us something. If we see that it's 
We're supposed to love like Jesus did. Man, it cost him something. It cost him a whole lot. Because there's something in all of us that wants to be with people like us, people that are our same education level, that have the same sense of humor, same race, same social economic status. It's who we enjoy the most. We have the most common with. But there was never a greater gap than that which Jesus overcame in coming to us. That's the biggest gap. He was the creator. He designed the nucleus of the atom. He was rich, but was born into a family that couldn't afford medical insurance. He was perfectly holy, and we were so sinful that we couldn't stand in his presence. The biggest gap, the biggest social economical gap. He didn't just sit up in heaven just hanging out. He came for us. He came to be with people that weren't like him. And so the question we can ask, and the question that I've been asking, is am I building a life around me people with people I feel comfortable with or people who need Jesus? I'll invite the worship team to start coming up here. See, church, this is the commandment that rings true throughout the whole New Testament. This commandment, and I have scripture upon scripture. Romans 13.8, be, no, be under obligation to no one. The only obligation you have is to love one another. Whoever does this has obeyed the law. Colossians 3.13-14 says this, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then 1 Thessalonians 4.9, it says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. I could have went on and on with Paul just saying, love one another, love one another, love one another. I want to commend you. Church, you do love well. When Kim and I, we talk about this congregation, we just say, there's just a genuine love that's flowing from this place. That's because of your relationship with God. And so we see Paul, he challenges them. And it continues on in this verse, in verse 10, and it says this. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And that's what I'm urging you on to today, to do so more and more. You guys love well, but to do this more and more. This is our mark. This is how we will be known. This is how we will be seen. Since the inception of the church of Jesus Christ, one of the litmus tests for genuine faith has been that a community of, of believers loves one another. He says we will be known by our love. So we, as a church, need to be committed to loving one another. I spoke at Teen Challenge on Wednesday, and I used this analogy. And we have sit down at breakfast and there's eggs and bacon. And you look at 
there, and he was like, well, there's a chicken and there's a pig that contributed to this. For the chicken, it was, it was merely a transaction. Gave an egg, popped out an egg. But for the pig, he was committed. He went all in. It cost him everything. He literally left the situation physically changed by what happened. And that's what he's calling us to be. Physically changed. Completely committed. Not just a, a little part of us, like the chicken. Sure, it's a lot of work. I don't know. I'm not chicken. <laughs> but the pig physically changed. Gave it everything. Committed to it. Church, family, you love well. You love well. We can see that. Others can see that. Let's do so more. Let's continue. Let's spread our circle. Let's see it grow. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you first loved us. You first loved us. You first loved us. And we can say that and say that and say that. Then we think about your commitment to us, how much you loved us and how much it cost you. And then you have given us this new commandment, not to go back to the old commandments, this new commandment to love one another as you have loved us. So we can measure our love by what's it costing us? What's it costing us? So, Father, as we worship you, Lord, we want to love you well. And that's, we just can give you what we can, and that's enough because it comes from our heart. But, Father, we want to love one another. This is who we are, committed to love one another, giving it our all, running down that hill as fast as we can. In your name we pray. Amen.